to Back to Excited, episode 161. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. Uh, how you doing, Fooleman? I'm not too bad. How about yourself? Ah, uh, doing okay. I'm getting strong March 2020 vibes from the, the state of the world right now, which is not great. Um, so, you know, we have, this will be a comparatively lighter show. We're going to talk about, you know, the ongoing COVID cancellations. We'll talk a little bit about Paul Maurice stepping down and the Jason Spezza suspension appeal. Um, but I think really the place we have to start is the COVID cancellations yeah. uh, that are sweeping the NHL and basically all pro sports leagues right now. Yes, we are once again in the position of having to talk about epidemiology, at least in passing, which is not something that I'm at all qualified to do, so I'm going to try and be a little bit sensible here. The Leafs were slated to play the Vancouver Canucks last night. That game is postponed. They were going to play the Seattle Kraken today, also postponed. The Leafs have now several players, as well as uh, head coach Sheldon Keefe, assistant coach Spencer Carberry, uh, all in COVID protocols. Kyle Dubas gave a presser yesterday where he talked about uh, the experiences that the team is having. At that point, he was talking about four players having symptoms, he said, or... Sorry, four players experiencing COVID, two of them asymptomatically, one very mildly, and then one of them seemed to have flu-like symptoms. So, we're now at a point where Omicron seems to be kind of ripping through the NHL. Mm -hmm. And if there's a consolation, it sounds like almost no one is getting that sick that I've heard. And so the severity is at least encouraging. It's just everywhere. It's spreading like wildfire. And so... It seems as if it's going to burn through. The NHL has thus far resisted doing an all-out pause and settled for just postponing games on an individual basis. But if you postpone everything, that starts to look like a pause, and they're pretty close at times. Yeah. Um, I mean, we the, the Hockey Night in Canada game was Philly and Ottawa, and I mean, I, I, I don't wish that upon anyone. <laughs> the Tournament of Champions. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there there isn't a ton to say other than like, oh, geez, this is not an amazing situation. Mm-hmm. It's, I imagine these leagues are, they're not going to want to do anything like the bubble again. Yeah. Right? They're going to want to just kind of power through, maybe make up some games, maybe cancel some dead rubbers if it comes down to that. But I'm sure they don't want to do that as their first option either. Um, And... I think there's also, from Dubas and, and Steve Eisenman, I think there was some frustration to some extent of, like, for players who test positive and are asymptomatic, what should the actual protocol be? And, again, not an epidemiologist, have not been completely up to date with uh, what people are saying in terms of best practices for asymptomatic individuals, whether they can still spread or to what extent uh, they do. I think ultimately the the long-term goal societally is that we get to a point with COVID where people have enough immunity and variants are um, mild enough that, you know, generally if someone gets it, it will end up being, quote-unquote, just like a cold and hopefully not something that is going to run through the hospital system and overwhelm uh, societies if, if left unchecked. 
I don't know whether we're in that spot. Again, not an epidemiologist. I hope we can get there at some point. Um, the, the comments by Dubis and Iserman, I think, are, are not as stupid as some people are making out making them out to be, but also probably they would have been better served to not make those comments as well. Yeah, I mean, this is always the risk, and I'm conscious that I'm running it just by doing this <laughs> segment of getting it over your skis on something you don't know that much about. I know only what I have read. And mm-hmm. from what I understand, it's pretty generally expected that COVID is going to become endemic, where it's exactly as you described it. It's going to be around. We're not going to succeed in eradicating the illness entirely, but we're going to get to a point where the vast majority of people are not in much danger from it. And hopefully the people who are in danger are small enough a number that we can treat them without overwhelming the health system. The, the worry right now is that as the Omicron variant spreads to so many people, even though it's less severe, probably, we think, the magnitude of the number of cases will mean that there are still a lot of very sick people just on volume and that the very sick people will still overwhelm our healthcare system. And of course, that's the nightmare scenario where you start having to choose between people who you know how to treat, but you don't have the resources to treat. You start triaging uh, other treatments. So that's the fear, and that's what they're trying to avoid. I don't know at what point we get to that endemic stage where we're now saying, okay, this can still spread like a common cold, like the ordinary flu, and we trust that the protections we have are enough not to really worry about it. Uh, And so we're just trying to see where we are on that stage. I do think that the recovery from this pause, if that's what it is, will be faster than, you know, the first time around where it was five months before they came back for a playoff bubble in two cities. You know, it, it, as much as this is demoralizing to get kicked in the gut again after we thought we were almost out of this mm. uh, i don't think we're back to square one i think we yes. you know I, I think this is a setback but it, it's not uh the beginning of the pandemic all over again even though i totally get what you mean by march 2025s yeah it, it can feel that way um as you said it, it is definitely a positive thing that generally speaking we are certainly much more protected now than we were, you know, in, in March 2020. And, I mean, if, with with most people being vaccinated, and, you know, obviously people should strive to get their booster doses whenever is, whenever they're made available um, to to them based on, you know, where, where they live and whatnot, uh, it, it will help. And we're relatively quite lucky in, in North America to have the availability of those doses um, other parts of the world are, are not nearly as lucky, and that also represents, you know, in a large part, a, a big risk um, for further variants as well as just, you know, general human inequity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, it's beyond the scope of this podcast to get into all yeah. the ways that, uh, that that shakes out in terms of the inherent unfairness of how the world is operated right now. But yeah, I, I mean, this has been crazy, and we're coming up on two years of it. We're all tired of this, of having our lives derailed by this. And, you know, I'm a lot luckier than most in terms of how it's gone so far. But, like, you know, 
This fucking sucks. It, uh, it's too bad. And I suspect that everyone listening already knows and feels the same way about it, so I will say maybe eight minutes is as much as we need to do on the COVID pandemic, unless you have anything else to add. Not really. Yeah, um, yeah it's just... I, I, I expect... I basically I don't expect any major moves from the NHL until like they're not going to get out ahead of this and say okay we're shutting down the season out of an abundance of caution. I think plans A through F are all varying degrees of we are going to stick it out with this season. Yeah, uh, there is one other thing actually I should mention. I don't think anyone expects them to go to the Olympics anymore. Yeah, um, it's just not going to happen. The league doesn't want them to, but agreed to and says look we'll abide our promise. But they've been kind of saying. If things go bad over there, it's your ass, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, you're subject to the quarantine rules imposed by the Chinese government, and whatever happens is kind of on you. And a lot of the players have already been saying things like, I don't know if I'm okay with that. So it sounds like the trip mm-hmm. is going that way. But that opens up some time in the middle of the season to possibly reschedule games or allow teams time to recuperate or something that I suspect the league is now looking at and saying, okay, we're going to try and take advantage of that. The league is going mm-hmm. to do its damnedest to get either to 82 games or very close. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Paul Maurice stepped down as coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah. So he was in, I think his like ninth season as um, the, as the coach there and basically just stepped down under the idea that he, you know, he felt that the the team needed a new voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's probably correct in that assessment. Yeah, there was a lot of discussion about this. Paul Maurice has always been a very charming coach in a press conference. He's good with a quote. He's very well liked by reporters. And I think we saw that because the reception to this is as if he fell on his sword for the good of the country or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. it got a little over the top in my opinion. The truth is, I think that if this season ended unsatisfactorily for the Winnipeg Jets, which seems very possible, the way things have been going, uh, he would have gotten fired. Um, Now, the Winnipeg Jets are slower to make moves than seemingly any other organization in the NHL. They're very patient and careful under Kevin Chevaldeoff, but... I do think that that was coming. You could see that there was uh, a lack of progress the Jets, who have always, or at least recently, struggled with defense. They added some defensemen this year, and they're still kind of not making the progress they hoped. So, yeah, I, I don't think that this was just out of the blue. I think you saw which way the wind was blowing. And according to Nick uh, Kotsonica, who's a reporter, um, there's some sort of a agreement in terms of his contract, so he's not giving up the whole thing, which suggests there was a deal saying, okay, you and I both know you're going to fire me at some point. Why don't I go now? We'll come to an arrangement. You'll pay me out partially, and that'll be that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, how good a coach do you think he really is? Yeah, I mean, Winnipeg last year was a team that seemed very propped up by their goaltenders. Mm-hmm. This year, it's actually been better in, in that regard, right? If they, at 5-on-5... At, at Natural Statric has them as um, like a, a reasonable, like a kind of a break-even expected goals team. And then with the team, with the shooters they have and with the goaltender they have, you'd expect them to be actually 
a positive team in goals at 5 on 5, which they have been. Mm -hmm. They're at like 53% goals for percentage. Um, Now, I think their penalty kill has been a bit of a disaster and that that's sort of that that sort of impacted uh them and that they they give up kind of a lot of their their five on five isn't good enough to to like i guess account for that um or to like to to make up for that so they're they're essentially like a a treadwater team as a result and they're they're playing like a treadwater team yeah just to put some numbers on that, they're the fourth worst team in the NHL in goals against, 4v5. And the teams that are worse than them are Montreal, Arizona, and Vancouver, who are all pretty mm-hmm. dreadful. Yeah. So You yeah. can say Winnipeg has also gotten a little bit unlucky in that, like, I think their on-ice shooting percentage as a team is like 7.5% at 5-on-5, five five, which is like a lot. It, I think that's around league average, but it's lower than you would expect for a team with the level of shooters they have that can play a pretty rush-heavy style. Yeah, last year, as we mentioned, their stats were pretty bad. But what they did was they would sort of batten down the hatches, endure a certain number of chances against Structured, and then strike back fast on the rush and get these high-value chances. And if you're going to try and play that way, Nick Ehlers is one of the best guys to have for that purpose. He's very well-suited for that. But, they, you know, they have offensive talent. Uh, you know, they're not lost by any means. They're in a bit of a tough spot because they're five points out of a playoff spot right now. Um, which is a meaningful gap. It's not insurmountable, but it does mean that they're kind of behind the eight ball a little bit. Um, as regards Paul Maurice, for most of his career, he seemed to be undermined by bad goaltending, including in Toronto. And in Winnipeg lately, he's had terrific goaltending from Connor Hellebuck. And it's made me a bit more skeptical of his value of, as a coach, or maybe just of the impact that he has. Because the, yeah. he doesn't seem to... Like, the team just seems to go on being kind of mediocre, in spite of that goaltending advantage. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, his defense has never been, like, adequate. Um, at least not since Jacob Truba skipped town. Yeah, and I think I think the Jets are also facing the reality that their core players or some of their core players are are declining. Like Blake Wheeler isn't the player he was five years ago. Mark Scheifele has has dropped off a bit, especially defensively. They still do have you know some great young players like Ehlers, like Pierre Luc Dubois, um, like Kyle Connor. But you know they 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 had a couple years where they were truly a great you know contending team they made it to the second round i think against uh, in in vegas's first year when vegas made the cup finals and and that that second round series was a really intense high quality second round series that could have gone either way and you know they win that maybe maybe things change and and they they could go you know they could have won the cup really like they they were a team that would not have been out of place in a in a Stanley cup final and I, I think the reality is the team has gotten worse since then through a combination of bad luck and aging and some some mismanagement. But it's going forward, it, they're in a bit of a tricky spot where they look kind of just like a mediocre team that has some good spots about them but has some, some notable issues as well. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you certainly can do a lot worse than having still a goaltender as good as Connor Hellebuck and shoot, you know, forward talent as good as they have. 
So if they make the playoffs, that that's not going to be shocking in any way. And especially, I think they're like with a with a good coach who can actually elevate them at five by five and make them you know more than a, a a treadwater team. There, they could they they could actually like be a team that causes a bit of damage and and is a dark horse uh, for for some real contention. But as they were going under Maurice. It, it seemed unlikely they were going to get there. Yeah, they are well-structured to play an underdog game. You know, lots of guys who can score on the counterattack, some good forwards, and then some good goaltending. So you can see how they could upset almost anybody. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the overall outlook is kind of middling, and when you're a less conventionally attractive uh, free agent market in terms of just the climate in Winnipeg, and it's smaller... Um, you do need to find other advantages. You know, you have less of a margin to be stupid because you won't be able to make it up um, by your ability to attract good players who just want to be there. Now, granted, you can say that also helps them avoid making big mistakes in free agency. You know, Winnipeg's mm-hmm. cap sheet is by no means the worst in the NHL. You know, they've, they've got a lot of at least passable contracts. The Blake Wheeler one, unfortunately... They paid a guy into his late 30s because they loved him, and now he's in decline. But by and large, you know, it's by no means in an impossible situation. It's just they got to figure out where they go from here. And if this roster is only as good as that, they, they either need to find a way to make significant upgrades, which is really hard, or they need to consider whether it's time to retool on the fly, I think. To be honest, I feel like this is a transition stage from the Wheeler-led teams... You know, I think stretching back to when they had Bufflin and Trupa on defense. And now they've got to find a new way to operate because this is just kind of meh. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see where they're at going forward. I think Paul Maurice is cagier than people let on, though. I think he knew that it was a good time to get out. And mm-hmm. he looks good doing it. And I think he'll set himself up to get a job in the future if he wants one. Well, and he, he, yeah, he he would, he could walk into any, uh, you know, any Canadian media outlet. Well, I guess both of them. There's, I say any if there's more than two. Um, he could walk onto TSN or Sportsnet. They would love to have him, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. Is if, if he decides, you know, I'd rather go into a commentary role, then, yeah, he'll have no problem getting one. Um, so the Jason Spezza suspension, we're going to mention. Mm-hmm. Gary yeah. Bettman knocked it down from six games to four, which means that... Jason Spezza, if healthy, and the game had happened, would have been eligible to play last night. So his suspension is concluded. Um, I'm not surprised it was knocked down. I'm surprised that Gary Bettman did it. I thought it was going to have to go to the arbitrator, which is the next stage after Gary Bettman. Mm-hmm. Um, and the result would have been that by the time that was rendered, he'd have served six games. So he just would have gotten salary back, uh, mm-hmm. as Seldo predicted last pod. But yeah, six was a lot. You know, they don't give out six games that often. Um, any thoughts on that? No, I mean, I guess in some sense, this is... Do you think the appeal was like, okay, this suspension was too large? Or like, the appeal was in some sense like, the refs let it get out of control. We shouldn't bear full responsibility for that or something. I've wondered, because according to Elliot Friedman, Shanahan and Dubas really got in his ear about this. And we don't hear too often of the Leafs throwing their weight around to the extent that you might expect. And so I wonder if, you know, they kind of said, okay, we feel like we're getting screwed here. We are the big market. Fix this. You know, you got to throw us something here. And I don't know if that was a factor. But, you know, I 
look, we said this before. It was a terribly refereed game, and that was a factor in what happened. So, you know, um, yeah. So I, I think that's fair. Look, I think Spezza, as I've said, deserved a suspension, and I'm fine with it being more than Pionks on sober second thought for for a few reasons. But yeah, I mean, I think four games is a bit more proportionate to what they usually do than six. Um, so yeah. Anyway, we're glad to have him back, and. Uh, <laughs> Just don't hit guys when they're falling over, Jason. We love you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hit them when they're standing up, and it's fine. Um, Absolutely. And then it's just a uh, state of the team. Yeah. So, I mean, we can talk a bit about how the Leafs have been doing. Their, I guess their last game was a, was a nice win against Edmonton. It feels like we've kind of struggled in controlling play recently. Mm. Some decline. Um, I mean, Mitch Marner is a good hockey player. The truth is, yes. when you don't have him in the lineup, you're worse. So, yes. Yeah. Funny how that works. I mean, <laughs> the the reality is, yeah, we're we're a team built around four players making forty million dollars. If we're missing any one of those, we look a lot worse. A lot worse. The, the, um, there, you know, there is a point about saying the power play does not look worse. Five v five, this team is worse. I, I think they're and four v five as well. I think Marner's probably yes. one of our better penalty killers. Yeah. Um, I think there's some question of. As much as he's been a big part of great power plays in the past, the fact that he's not a huge shot threat maybe is a bit of a, a drawback, you know? Mm-hmm. Enough to consider any looks. But, like, look, yeah, he's a good player. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, the game against the Blackhawks was just... <laughs> if the Leafs hadn't, if, if the Leafs hadn't um, you know, kind of rolled off a very strong stretch of games prior to that, mm-hmm. um, I would have been really upset about that Blackhawks game. That was awful. That was just terrible. Yeah. Every now and then they just lay an egg, you know? Mm. <laughs> and and the, the Oilers game, we really needed Campbell to, to help out. And, like, Dreisaitl missed an open net at, I, I, I forget what the score was, but, like, it would have changed the tenor of the game. Yeah, I think the score it, flattered us a bit at the end of that one. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For, definitely flattered us. Um, I mean, it, does, it did lead to some consternation in Edmonton, which is always very welcome. <laughs> but... Yeah. Yeah. Like again, Edmonton and Chicago are not good five-on-five teams, and they kind of beat us up five-on-five. Not amazing. Yeah. You know, it, it shows like how vulnerable we are, as you said, to any kind of major injury. Right, and it, the interesting thing is, it's not like it's impacting Matthews's line directly because his numbers. I think I'll, I'd have to check, but I mean, he's been scoring like crazy. But even in terms of just carrying play in an on-ice sense. It's not like he's been significantly worse than the rest of the team and not at the level that, that we're expecting. Mm-hmm. It's like the depth and really even the second line that's, that's struggled a bit. Um, and, you know, the depth that makes sense, you're, you're now playing Kyle Clifford more minutes or you're, you're playing, you know, people who aren't as good effectively. Um, so that, that makes an impact. But we also just straight up do need more from Nylander and Tavares, I think. Yeah, they they slowed down a little bit. And it is worth noting, the fifth best forward on the team this year has been Andre Kasha. And yeah. so, most of the time they were moving him up with Matthews. Fine by me, makes sense. But then, the offensive engine of the third line is gone, and you have three guys who are not exactly replete with offensive skill. Yes. Um, Pretty much any way you slice it. Like, I, I mean, you can put Wayne Simmons up there, but he's just not that kind of player anymore. 
um, good though he's been. So yeah, I mean there are ripple effects all up and down the lineup, and yeah, yeah. Like, I mean when you don't have Mitch Marner, you have a lot less of a margin for error when you're playing, you know, Alex Steves, who's like looked fine enough, but he's he's just not a great NHLer. Yeah, and, and you know he he doesn't even have to be. The fact that he's appeared in the NHL this early is actually kind of surprising to me because he still has mm-hmm. a bit of developmental runway ahead of him. But yeah, so I think you can take some positives here, which are that. Campbell, as long as he's playing like this, will give us a chance against anybody. And mm-hmm. Austin Matthews has reasserted his claim to best goal scorer in the world. Um, so is Alex Ovechkin, which is insane because Ovechkin is 36. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, to be clear, Ovechkin's the greatest of all time at, at scoring goals. At goal scoring, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, well, and, and Ovechkin's longevity it now is like. You know, Ovechkin had a crazy peak, but now he's also showing just insane longevity as well. Yeah, uh, you know, not, not not just now. It's been clear for a little bit, but th- that's a huge part of of his his case now as well. Is like he has both the peak and the longevity. Yeah, he's um, like he's quickly making it clear that no one really is on his level except Gretzky. And Gretzky, if you look at his his stats, all of which are de- deranged, like they're ridiculous. But he stopped scoring goals. Um, or, like, he slowed down in his goal scoring significantly as he approached age 30. He was still, like, an absolute assist monster forever because he's the greatest playmaker in history. But Ovechkin has had this resurgence where he's seriously contending for the Rocket Richard again. Um, and so it, it's probably going to be one of him, Matthews, or Leon Dreisaitl, who is also having a bonkers year and obviously has won this before, so it's not a huge mm-hmm. shock if he wins it again. But after a little bit of a slow start, Matthews has reestablished himself in that class. And he's also playing well defensively, I think. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, I mean, Evolving Hockey had, had a tweet which is just <laughs> designed to make everyone angry. They're very good at that. Um, I love those guys. Yeah, yeah. Where they, they were basically like, you know, Matthews has to start playing worse because we might... I'm not prepared for a world where I might have to say he's better than McDavid. Which... Look, he's not better than McDavid, okay? Yeah. Let's just... Yeah. He's not better than McDavid. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> I am sensitive to the fact that he's not better than McDavid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the, the Stephen A tweet. Yeah. Um, no, but there, there are things he does better than McDavid. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think there, there's certainly situations where... I think people re- recoil at the idea that like anyone is better at, at anything than McDavid, which is obviously not true, even though McDavid is, in my opinion, and I think both of our opinions, pretty clearly the best overall player right now. And and that, I think, should not... Like, a, a, a 12-game heater for Matthews shouldn't change that. But, yeah. you know, Matthews does... Ha- his, his defensive ability and his, his play-driving ability is genuinely very, very impressive. Yeah. I, the way that... It appears to me, and I'm, I'm definitely going to stray into Homer territory a little bit in the course of this, but I think if you have both of those players already set up in the offensive zone and they're not moving to a great extent, they don't have a ton of momentum, Matthews is in McDavid's class. I could see you arguing that either way. You can say Matthews is a better shot threat, uh, McDavid's a better playmaker, but it's pretty close. Where McDavid separates himself literally and in a larger sense, 
is as the most dangerous rush player on the planet. He can move and operate at a speed that is just absurd. Like he can, he's faster than everyone else and he can make plays at that speed, which is almost unstoppable. And so he gets these highlights where he just goes end to end on teams in a way that you really don't see past like Peewee, frankly, like when you just have one kid who's <laughs> way better than everyone else. Um, and so I think that's where McDavid really establishes himself. He's obviously a great power play forward too. You know, he, he's very good at everything, but I think Matthews can sort of keep up with him in some of the other respects. It's that in, insane rush ability that McDavid has that really no one else can touch. He makes yeah. me think of Pavel Burry at his peak. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But that said, you know, it's cool that Matthews can get into this conversation. You know, like, he's... I think he's the second best player in the world right now. So Yeah, and, like, that's a very meaningful and important thing for, for the Leafs. Yeah. You know, uh, whatever chance the Leafs have of doing anything this year uh, is tied up in, you know, in him and, and Jack Campbell, first and foremost, and then, obviously, the other very expensive forwards that we have. And <laughs> also Justin Hall, in a less <laughs> encouraging way. Um, but, yeah, so... Uh, some very encouraging MVP performances. Uh, we were looking up the stats before this, and we had an unfortunate discovery, which is that the Boston Bruins are first to next year again, um, which makes me very sad. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, they're just going to be a threat forever, even if their goaltending is kind of iffy, but Tukarask is possibly drifting back towards playing. So, Yeah. Um, but yeah, that said, it's it's going to be a, a merciless time in the Atlantic Division. But yeah, you know. actually, the the top three teams in XG by Natural Statric are Florida, Toronto, and Boston. Like, uh, not in that order. I think it, I think it's Boston, Florida, and Toronto if we're going yeah. in order. And so, and the one we're missing is Tampa Bay, who's going to get Kucherov <laughs> back. So it's like um, <clears throat> phenomenal. Yeah, like there's no way this goes where the Leafs aren't playing a very good team round one. I don't see it. Like, unless yeah. they win the division and draw the other wild card, which is probably not going to happen. Yeah, and that's why it's so, so, so important that, um, you know, when we're evaluating this team, we have to evaluate it in the context of how are they going to do in a, in a playoff series against another really good team. Yeah, th- this is the thing, is we complain about the division, and I think rightly so. The Atlantic is stacked. I think it's the toughest division in hockey. But then the Leafs did have <laughs> a pretty soft divisional draw last year, relatively speaking, mm. and look what they did with it. So, yeah. Um, still, though, I mean, look, you can, you can look at this and you can say the Leafs are a point out of first place in the NHL, and that's pretty good. So yeah. let's hope that, you know, we get through this COVID-imposed interruption soonish and the Leafs can get back to their winning ways. Yep, I agree. Um, is there anything else we wanted to discuss? Uh, no, I ran through pretty much all my materials. So <laughs> you got anything? Say, same here. We're, this is a short podcast for you. Hopefully, we'll have more to discuss next week, including actual games. So, you know, thank you for listening and bearing with us on the on our probably the shortest edition of Back to Excited that we've had. That isn't like an emergency pod. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can catch all of mine and Fuleman's work at petrapanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.